and welcome to The Bookmonger. I'm John J. Miller of National Review. Thanks for listening. This show is a production of National Review, and we're recording from the studio of WRFH, the campus radio station of Hillsdale College. Our guest is Eric Vanden Eichel, author of The Magi, Who They Were, How They've Been Remembered, and Why They Fascinate. Eric, welcome to The Bookmonger. Thanks so much, John. It's a pleasure to be here. So who were the Magi? Remind us, what exactly does the Bible say about them? Yeah, that's a great question. So the Magi are these characters who show up only in the Gospel of Matthew, and they show up in Jerusalem uh, right after Jesus is born, and then they go from there to Bethlehem. And they are more commonly known in the tradition probably as uh, the three kings or the three wise men. Uh, but yeah, they show up in Bethlehem with gifts, and, and then they disappear, and they go home, and that's it. We always think that there are three of them. Is that true? Matthew never actually says three magi come to Bethlehem. Uh, Matthew says that magi come to Bethlehem bringing three gifts. And so, you know, uh, is it possible that Matthew was was imagining three people? You know, sure. But uh, but in some of this, in some of the later traditions, there's actually quite a few more than three. There's you know nine or twelve. And um, so you know the 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 number of gifts in Matthew is what is what ultimately gets translated into the number of the number of visitors. Now, what does Magi actually mean? As you say, sometimes we call them the wise men, sometimes king. Magi sounds kind of like magician or even astrologer. What does that word actually mean? Magician would actually be a pretty pretty good rendering of it. But of course, magician carries all sorts of negative connotations, right? For, you know, hucksters or things like this. But in the ancient world, uh, a magi or a magus uh, was somebody who uh, had special abilities to understand the significance of things uh, like dreams or stars or just kind of, uh, you know, events that they witnessed. Uh, magi were also uh, trained religious professionals. So there's a whole cast of priests uh, from, from the East, from Persia, who are talked about as uh, as magi, but uh, yeah, the the word itself is really hard to translate because just like certain words in uh, in our contemporary language have different connotations, magi in the ancient world could refer to a whole host of different people. And there's a kind of thrilling adventure story aspect to their tale in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm reminded of of, of C.S. Lewis somewhere says that that Jesus was born in disguise in in enemy territory. And you definitely get a sense of that with the story in the Gospel of Matthew, especially the very last line concerning the Magi. They, They go and visit Jesus. And then it says, and having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. There's a cloak and dagger element to this. Yeah, there's a sense here that, you know, they go to they go to Jerusalem first because what they're looking for, according to Matthew, is the one who is born king of the Judeans. And so they go to Jerusalem because presumably that's where they're going to find the king of the Judeans. And so when they encounter Herod, you know, Herod sort of sends them on, Herod and his, his advisors send them on to, uh, to Bethlehem. But yeah, then, then you sort of get this little twist in Matthew where Herod, for whatever reason, wants to go and investigate the situation for himself. And so he tells them, you know, after you find this king, you know, come and, come and tell me where he is so that I can also go and pay him tribute. And they sort of are warned, you know, this is not, uh, this is not 
not going to be a friendly visit. Um, and so perhaps, uh, just, you know, don't go back to Jerusalem. So yeah, they, they sort of, they just sort of leave. And then Herod, of course, loses his mind and, and they, um, you know, the, all the, all the babies in Bethlehem are, are slaughtered. Um, but yeah, there is, there is a lot of kind of cloak and dagger and sort of this, um, sense of betrayal on Herod's part. He feels like he's been betrayed by the Magi. And Herod is the villain of our piece, essentially. Yeah, Herod in Matthew is uh, certainly, I mean, historically, he's a complicated character, but in Matthew, he's also a complicated character because he is a sort of illegitimate king, and he is apparently paranoid of losing power. And so, you know, Matthew actually, in the way that Matthew tells the story of Jesus' birth, Matthew portrays Herod as a sort of Pharaoh figure. And so, just like in Exodus, where Pharaoh orders um, the slaughter of all the Hebrew uh, babies, you know, Herod is, uh, is doing the same thing in Bethlehem. And so he's sort of, uh, yeah, he is, he is a bit of a villain, um, but just also sort of paranoid. Another important part of the story of the Magi, of course, is the star of Bethlehem. Again, what exactly does the Bible say about the star of Bethlehem and how should we think about it? When we reread the story, and this is one of the, the things that I, that I try to encourage in my book is, is reading the story that is for many readers, um, many, many people who pick up this book, I imagine have grown up hearing these stories of the, of the Magi. But when you go back and you actually reread what Matthew says about them, it's so much simpler. It's so much shorter. There's so much, so many fewer details there than we, than we remember. What Matthew says about the star is that the Magi, when they come to Jerusalem, they say, we, we saw his star at its rising. And so the, the star in, uh, in Matthew is, is a sort of unusual astronomical phenomenon that the Magi discern some sort of a significance to. And they, they see it as, you know, this, this star means the king of the Judeans has been born. We need to go to, we need to go to Jerusalem. But in common kind of retellings of this story, you sort of see the Magi following the star to Jerusalem. That's not actually what happens though. The star doesn't, doesn't lead them to Jerusalem. It sends them to Jerusalem. But once they get to Jerusalem, then the star starts acting strangely. It disappears and then it reappears and then it sort of leads them to Bethlehem. So it's a $10 million question of what does Matthew actually have in mind when he's describing the star? Some people have tried to kind of identify around this time period, was there any kind of a, you know, a supernova or a planetary conjunction or a comet? And the answer to that is the, all of these things are, are happening around this time period. But, uh, but what exactly does Matthew have in mind? Some people have suggested that Matthew imagines the star to be an angel. We we really, we really don't know because Matthew doesn't really tell us whether it's a, a regular star that the Magi see significance in or whether it's a sort of divine being that's kind of guiding them on their journey. There's a lot of ambiguity in this story. Absolutely. There are gaps, uh, narrative gaps that just, you know, the Magi only talk once in the entire thing. And we don't really know exactly where they're from. We don't know how many there are. We're, we, we really aren't even sure exactly why they want to see Jesus. The story is, is really beautifully, but also frustratingly what we call indeterminate. There's so many gaps that the reader has to fill in with their own imagination. And a lot of people have done that over history, right? And that's how we've come to think of them as three people bearing gifts, maybe kings and our nativities. 
Correct. Yeah, that that is the that is the impulse from very very early on. Is as people are are reading this story or hearing this story and and retelling it and preaching about it perhaps and thinking about it. It's almost like you get you know today this concept of fan fiction. It's almost like you get that with the story of the Magi. You have people who are saying, "Well, where did they actually come from?" And then you have all these stories that that indicate not just a, a kind of indeterminate place in the east, but to say like, "Oh no." They come from this very specific land, or three very specific lands, or or whatever. But yeah, you get you get this sort of impulse to fill in the gaps and to sort of provide the details that Matthew leaves out. This is a message from our friends at American Habits from the State Policy Network. We the people. Do you ever think about what that means and what happened to it? We the people certainly did not mean an imperial city full of unelected bureaucrats deciding everything from kindergarten curricula to nursing home funding formulas. We the people mean self-government, a free people deciding most things in their families and communities and delegating some authority to their towns and states while passing along just a small amount of that power to the national government. How did things get so upside down at American Habits? We tell stories of real people with real solutions, all working to restore federalism and self-government. If you're a public official, come get involved. If you're a citizen, Come and see the new standard for American leadership. No matter who you are, come help us renew the forgotten but not lost habit of American self-government. Visit AmericanHabits.org to learn more. That's AmericanHabits.org. So how did they come to fascinate you and inspire you to write this book? I've always been a big fan of Christmas. It's been my it's sort of, you know, I mean, obviously what, what person who's, who's sort of in the, in that context of celebrating Christmas isn't a fan of Christmas, but, but the Christmas holiday, the sort of the kind of narrative driven holiday of these, of these figures has always really, has always really interested me. Uh, but in terms of my own kind of scholarly interest in them, I had a, you know, after I had defended my dissertation nearly 10 years ago now, <clears throat> I had somebody ask me about the Magi who who appeared in the text that I wrote my dissertation on, and they asked me why I didn't why I didn't talk about them, and and that sort of um, you know I was like I don't know why you know I, I I didn't talk about them for a number of reasons, but also in the days that followed, I thought well maybe I should kind of go and see if there's anything uh, that can be that can be sort of written about these people. And so as a scholar, I became very interested in the Magi because what I found when I started doing research on you know their function in Matthew and then all of the ways that they've been understood is that I found a lot of explanations that weren't terribly appealing to me and I thought overly simplistic from other scholars. But then I also found a lot of stuff online about, you know, UFO cults and, and these sorts of things, you know, like, ah, oh, the star is a, it was a flying saucer. And so I found, um, you know, these kind of two poles of sort of what I consider to be kind of boring scholarship on the Magi and then also just completely crazy uh, understandings of them. And I thought, well, surely there is a way to sort of chart between here to do good scholarship, but also to produce a book that could be of wider interest to, to people. The author is Eric Vandeneichel. The book is The Magi, who they were, how they've been remembered, and why they still fascinate. Eric, thanks for joining us on The Bookmonger. Thank you so much, John. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you enjoyed this show, please take a minute to leave a review. Your reviews help new listeners discover us, and that helps us keep this show going. We'll be back next week with a new episode of The Bookmonger.